Welcome to PM Lessons Learned, a podcast for project managers, helping project managers by sharing lessons learned. Increase your PM knowledge, build business relationships, increase your effectiveness, increase your marketability, gain professional support. Join our group and take part in our conference calls. Details at pmlessonslearned.com. Hello, and welcome to the PM Lessons Learned Monthly PMP Exam Study Group Conference Call and Podcast. This is podcast number 162. We're recording this session on the 10th of July, 2014, and we are totally focused on the fifth edition of the PMBOK Guide. My name is Dana Safford. I'm the host for the PM Lessons Learned Monthly PMP Exam Study Group Conference Calls. I've been a PMP since version 2 of the PMBOK. I'm also a certified ITIL version 3 expert and a Microsoft Certified Systems Engineer. I have over 25 years of project management experience in the IT industry. I'm currently an escalation manager at Red Hat. And in this role, I take a very complex situation that affects a Red Hat customer's enterprise and production environment, and I manage this project with a virtual technical team that quickly resolves the issue. So remember, you do not have to have the term project manager in your job title to actually be a project manager. We have one announcement. We're in dire need of volunteers still. We've only picked up one or two, but we need a few more to make some things happen. So we'd love it if the live call listeners and the podcast listeners could volunteer to help us out, give back to the project management community. We need help getting some of our other calls started. And also our weekly group is now defunct because we couldn't get a critical mass of folks to help run that as well. So if you have some time to give back to the project management community, we'd love it. All this is on our website, www.pmlessonslearn.com. Help us out if you could, please. Our presenter for this session is me, of course, and our topic is PMLL Project Human Resource Management Part 1, PMBOK 5E. This is the first of two sessions that will take us to make our way through the human resource management knowledge area. On July 31, 2013, the fifth edition of the guise of the Project Management Body of Knowledge, also called the PMBOK, became the basis for the Project Management Professional or PMP exam. This month's PMP study group call continues the deep dive into the change portions of the PMBOK 5th edition or 5E. In this session, we will begin the focus on the project human resources management knowledge area as we look at three of the four processes that belong to the project human resource management knowledge area as it is laid out in the 5th edition. I will provide insight and practical examples of everything you need to build your critical knowledge mass and pass the PMP exam on the first attempt. If you haven't already downloaded a PDF copy of this session's presentation, please do so. If you are in the live free screen sharing.com virtual meeting room that we're in right now, the file is in the meeting resources box. When you log in, you'll see that box right in the middle of the screen. You'll see down arrows next to the file names, and you can download all that stuff. If you are not in the virtual meeting room, to find out how to download the files and podcasts for all of our PM Lessons Learned sessions, go to www.pmlessonslearned.com. And in the left-hand navigation column, you'll see a link to files and presentations. You can just follow those directions. It will take you to where you need to grab everything that you need, both the slides and the podcast. Over in our file area, in the monthly PMP exam study group file area, you'll see the slides for this session. The file name for this session is PMLL. Project Human Resource Management, Part 1, 10 JUL for July 14, PMBOK 5E. It's a PDF file. The title is pretty much the same thing, or exactly the same thing. PMLL, Project Human Resource Management, Part 1, 10 July, PMBOK 5E. 
in the monthly PMP exam study group file area, you will also see a PMBOK 5th edition brain dump, a PMBOK 5E or 5th edition study resources file, and the PMBOK 5th edition ITTO list file. It's a great thing to hold on to so that you use those things to study. And in the ITTO list file is all 618 iterations of the 194 ITTOs that are in the 5th edition. There are questions on those things in the exam, so to the extent that you can memorize that, by all means do so. Remember also that the Internet is a very big place. If you choose to use study material from another source, make sure you know it's PMBOK base. Now that July 31, 2013 is behind us, you want material based on the fifth edition of the PMBOK guide. You should remember that there's roughly about a 50% difference in my estimation from the fourth edition. Some people will say more, some people will say less. And that's mostly in the knowledge groups, the processes, and their ITTOs. And remember, there are still very evil people out there that will sell you material from the fourth and even the third editions of the PMBOK. So you want to do some checking before you plunk any money down, especially if you plunk any money down. If the material on the website doesn't explicitly say that its material is based on the fifth edition, then leave it alone. Please be very careful. I was talking to a guy the other day where I worked starting the study. He went off to one of the bookstores, the, the brick-and-mortar bookstores, bought himself a study guide. And I asked him if he had it with him, and he did. I had him read me the table of contents. And one easy way to tell if you've got a book in your hand, go look for the stakeholder management knowledge area. That's brand new in the fifth edition. It will not be in any of the other editions. It's a brand new knowledge area, and it was not in his book. So I sent him back to the bookstore, told him return that, you haven't opened it yet, return it and grab a book for the 5th edition. Because you don't want to waste any money on this old stuff because it will confuse you. There's enough differences in there, 50% difference, that it will mess you up. Okay, so we are PLSSLearn.com, project managers helping project managers to make a difference. I thank you in advance all those participating in this month's live conference call and those that download and use the podcast. Let's get started. I'm going to shift over to the slide deck. The first slide contains a summary of all of the PMLessonsLearn.com free conference calls that we have when we are at full strength, which we are not right now. Well, normally the first Thursday of the month we have our PM Lessons Learned PMP exam study group call. where folks doing studying uh, for the exam can go. Normally on the first Thursday of the month, since the 4th of July U.S. Independence holiday was the first Thursday we're doing this particular session on the second Thursday. But normally on the first Thursday of each month we're there with the monthly study group call. On the second Thursday of each month, when we're at full strength, we'd love to have our PM Lessons Learned Job Shop call back for folks in transition or with a need to identify a potential career path can go to help each other out. And finally, on the third Thursday of each month, we'd love to hold our PM Lessons Learned Best Practice call. And in the Best Practice call, we provide presentations on a wide variety of project management and soft skills topics. And the, those last two calls are where we need volunteers to help get those going again. So help us out if you could to listen to the previous call by phone or grab the podcast. Go to our website, www.pmlessonslearn.com, and also please join our Yahoo and LinkedIn groups. Both of those are aptly named PM Lessons Learned. All right, so I'm going to move on to the next slide here. We'll talk about call norms. This is an interactive call, I hope. I'd love for you to participate, ask me questions, but I've muted your phones. I don't mind being interrupted at all. I'd much rather have you ask a question when I'm on slide 7 Instead of waiting to on that much slide 59, something like that, I can't remember things from the top of the stairs to the bottom of the stairs that my wife tells me. So go ahead and interrupt me. I'd love it. But you have to do a star six to unmute your phone. 
and then get my attention, yell out my name, and then once we're done, I'll have you doing yet another star six and remute your phone, and we'll carry on. All right, speaking of carry on, let's go to the next slide. Here's our email address for those who want to volunteer or ask a question. It is pmpstudy at pmlessonslearn.com. Move on to the next slide. It's a bit of legalese here. The participants in this call or in listening to the podcast are meant to use the contents of this session as additional study material. Much of it comes from an actual study guide. It comes from the Project Management Professional Study Guide, the seventh edition, put out by Kim Heldman, part of the Cybex series by John Wiley and Sons. You see the ISBN number there. It'll take you right to it so you know you're getting the right edition of the right book. We're on the seventh edition that equates to the fifth edition of the Pimbot Guide. And I don't think any of the study guides, the numbers match. So make sure you grab the right edition for whatever guide you're using. But this one, I'll give you the ISBN number. It's another one of those two-inch thick paperback tomes with a bunch of chapters using all the material, some assessment tests, practice paper tests, and the like to help you get through things. There's a test at the end of every chapter. And it used to come with a CD, and now what it comes with is the download. You go to uh, the John Wiley website, key in the fact that you bought the book, and they'll point you at a 390-megabyte download that has Mac and Windows versions of more practice tests, both paper, and they have a test engine in there. So you can start getting used to test engines, a pretty, pretty close representation of the test engine in the exam. That will help you out. And then you can use all that stuff as well. It's a really good. I live right outside of Boston, so I'll say it's a wicked good deal uh, for only about forty to sixty dollars U.S. Depending on where you get it from, and that's a good thing to use. I'm using all this material with the permission of the publisher. I am a registered instructor with John Wiley. So I'm going to move on to the next slide now, and we hit the title slide for what we're talking about: Project Human Resource Management, in Part One, and is the 10th of July, 2014. Moving to the next slide. And we see a representation of a table that you've been studying it all for a while. You know this table from Chapter 3. It is the large table with the 10 knowledge areas and the five process groups that contain all 47 processes on the intersections of the matrix here. So you're used to seeing that. There's a yellow area across the row, roughly the middle of the middle row of the table because that's what we're talking about in these next couple of sessions, the Project Human Resource Management Knowledge Area. And you see there are four processes in there. So that's what we'll be going over now. So I'm going to go to the next slide, and we'll talk about the agenda, what we'll actually be hitting in this session. It's podcast number 162, as I mentioned before. And in the Human Resource Management Area, we're going to be hitting three of the four processes that are in there. We're going to be doing 9.1, Plan Human Resource Management, 9.2, Acquire Project Team, and 9.4, Manage Project Team. We're not going to do 9.3 in this session because it by itself will take an hour to do. It's got all the motivational things in there for actually directing your project team and leading your project team. That takes an hour to get through all that stuff. So we're jumping over that one and we're doing these three in this hour. Okay, so let's move on to the next slide and we'll get into it. What we're looking at here is the organizational chart style rendition of the four processes and their ITTOs that belong to the Project Human Resource Management Knowledge Area. Set up like an organization chart, as I said, and we see four vertically oriented boxes. It's wicked hard to read, so I won't have you read through this, but I will point out that you can see there are varying numbers of inputs, tools, and techniques, and outputs for each one of these processes. And you see a numbering scheme there. So if I were to talk about the output for the plan human resource management 
process, I'd be talking about the ITTO item 9.1.3.1. Well, that's a lot of stuff there, and the good news is that's not on the exam, but it's here to help you study because there are some other things, like I'll go up a little bit here to the expert judgment tool and technique in that same process, numbered 9.1.2.4. Expert judgment is used 27 times something like that, in probably not 27 times I made that number up, but a lot. So if you're talking about the expert judgment iteration within the plan human resource management area, we'll get to see what that's all about in a few slides, then that's the number that you use because expert judgment can mean different things in different processes. It just helps you separate things. That's what that's all about. Okay, so we're going to be handling three of the four processes here. It's wicked hard to see, so I'm going to move to the next slide. We can see a little bit easier now where we have the horizontal variation or version of just one process now of the Plan Human Resource Management 9.1. We see one box for inputs, one box for tool and techniques, one box for outputs. We can actually almost read it a little bit better, and we see there are three inputs, three tools and techniques, and one output to this process. And what we're going to be doing now is going through those. Let's move to the next slide and we'll talk about managing human resources in general and this process in particular. This process is the only one that's in the planning process group, those vertical process groups that I was talking about earlier when we had the big table up, is the only one that's in the planning process group. And Project Human Resource Management contains all the stuff you need to worry about to organize, manage, and lead your team. It'll tell you how to develop a staff or project team, depending on what word you want to use there. Make sure you have enough people at the right times, know what roles they're going to do and what responsibilities they have. You need to know how many people you're going to require throughout your project. If you've got a one-week project, maybe you're going to keep the same number of people all the time. But if you have a five-year project, probably not. You're going to have some number of people, a small number of people in the beginning, maybe a lot more toward the middle and fewer at the end. And this process begins to help you figure out all that stuff. It tells you how to manage all that. And to the extent possible, if you can grab some of your team members and involve them early on in the process, then use their expert judgment and make sure that they have an input to what you're doing so that it will help you out and build a stronger project as you're moving along. Speaking of moving along, let's go to the next slide. We'll see the inputs to plan human resource management. There are four of them. I'll read them off in case you're on a bus or waiting in an airport departure lounge in some place. They are project management plan, activity resource requirements, enterprise environmental factors, and organizational process assets. I'll move on to the next slide, and we'll talk about project management plan. This is what you're going to use to develop the output of this process, which is the human resource management plan. It's a subsidiary, a piece of the project management plan. That's why it's talked about here. We don't have it yet. You're going to develop that as part of this process. And what you have to pull from the project management plan, like the scope statement, things along those lines, are little things to help you along and help you understand what you have to do the way your company, or for the exam, they want you to manage people. So things like what project life cycle will you be using? Maybe there are certain processes that you have to apply to each life cycle in a slightly different manner from what you might know from listening to the PMBOK or reading the PMBOK. You never know. All right? Also, maybe it's going to tell you how the work should be accomplished, things along those lines. Make sure that you understand exactly what's going to happen at certain points in time. Maybe it describes the change management plan that you must use 
The exam is very big on change management plans. You cannot get away without one in the exam. And then it'll tell you how all that all the changes are going to be controlled. There might be a configuration management plan in there as well that tells you how you're going to manage the various pieces of your project. And maybe they'll talk about the integrity of project baselines. And by integrity we mean what accuracy are you going to use for your cost baseline, your schedule baseline? Do you have to be plus or minus one percent or plus or minus twenty percent? You'll get that from there. And also, how many decimal places do you have to go out with costs and things along those lines? That's all the integrity for project baselines. It'll all be in the project management plan and scope statement someplace. And it might also tell you what type of communication you might have to do to your stakeholders, with your stakeholders, among your stakeholders. Your stakeholders are very important. They like to know what's going on. So what do you have to do to keep your stakeholders informed? We'll probably be in there as well someplace. And you put that into your human resource management plan as well because stakeholders are humans for the most part. And so you have to take care of them as well as your project team in your human resource management plan. Let's move on to the next slide. We'll talk about activity resource requirements. These are created during the defined activities process we did a couple of sessions ago. But basically, by now you've figured out a lot of what's going to be going into each activity that you're going to have to perform. And maybe there are human resource constraints that you have to worry about in there. This is where you'll find those. And you'll go through this a lot of times. You've heard of the term progressive elaboration. Well, as you go, maybe the first time you go through this, you read what's in the scope statement. Second time through it, because you've been through things a few times, you know a bit more. You can add more detail and the like. So as you work through in progressive elaboration, you're going to add more detail, make some things more clear. And the things you'll be doing that to are the things like the activity list. Maybe you're going to change what activities you're going to be doing and such. The activity list is just the way it sounds, a list of all the stuff you're going to be doing. It's probably an identifying number in there, activity number 5.6.4.2 or something along those lines. And maybe it'll give you the scope of the work and the like. But then behind that, there's a thing called activity attributes. And that's all the active details that have to do with that activity. Maybe you need a certified project manager or a licensed crane operator or a licensed pilot or something like that, aircraft pilot, to do something. And the activity attributes will give you all those little details and tell you that a piece of work can only be accomplished in a certain geographic area or who knows what it might be. But things along those lines is what you get out of the activity attributes. Okay, let's move on to the next slide, and we'll talk about enterprise environmental factors. These are the things that you cannot control. I'll say that again. You cannot control because you work in the environment, the company, the group that you work in. This is the way they do things and you're not going to be able to change that. Things like organizational culture, the politics that are there, the structure that's there. Maybe they've already got human resource things that you have to pay attention to and any marketplace conditions and the like, administration policies and such, where they're located, things along those lines. So these are things you cannot control, but you have to deal with them as you're going through your project and planning things out. So be aware of them. In the older versions of the PMBOK guide, they used to have a thing called the critical factors of resource management. The critical triangles that I'm trying to find you. The critical triangle of resource management. Well, they've gotten rid of critical triangle across the board in the fifth edition, and they now call those things key environmental factors. But they're still there. So the key environmental factors that you have to pay attention to in the planned human resource management process is 
What organizational structures are there? Is it a functional organization? Is it a pure matrix organization, that type of thing? They can be constraints. They can limit how you can recruit people for your project. Can you only recruit people from a certain area? That type of thing. Maybe there's a collective bargaining agreement that you have to work with as well for some union help. And that's an actual contractual obligation that you must fulfill. So you have to be aware if you have one of those, it's going to impact you. And then whatever economic conditions are going along. If conditions are great, maybe you have plenty of money, you can hire a bunch of people to work on your project. But if things aren't so great, maybe not so much. Maybe you're going to have to do more things, more activities with fewer people. And those three things, those key environmental factors, you have to balance those three things as you're developing your resource management plan. Move on to the next slide, and we'll talk about organizational process assets. These are the things that you can control because you work in the area and the group that you work in that influence your project. So you can tweak them. You can change them. You may pull them out of the bin, out of, out of the OPA bin, as I like to call it. Someone will point you at a checklist, a spreadsheet, a something that they've used in the past, and you get to change it. If you don't want to change it, you don't have to, but you have the ability to change it if you can improve on it and add to it. And that's what OPAs are all about. So there'll be some processes in there, maybe some policies that they don't mind taking a look at and changing every now and again. I know where I work, they certainly change policies frequently. As new technologies come in, we have to do things differently. And maybe there's some standardized role descriptions that are in there. As I mentioned, some templates, some checklists, things along those lines. Maybe they've done a project like yours before, so they already know the rough layout of people, and they already have job descriptions already laid out that you don't have to recreate. It's a good thing. Look up the historical information that's in the OPA bin, the lessons learned, if you will, and see what's there. And then there's a big red dot on the last bullet down here. The big red dot is an exam point in my slides. That's something that's been on the exam recently. I ask a lot of people after they come out of the exam, in general, what did you see? I'm not going to ask specific questions. That would not be ethical. But I ask generalities. And if they want to volunteer something, great. And one of the things that came out recently is that using templates and checklists is one way to make sure that you don't miss anything. So it's a really fast way to blow through part of the planned human resource management process. So it makes sure you don't miss anything and you can go through things quickly that way. So it's a twofer, if you will. Quick stuff and not missing anything is one reason to use the checklists that are in your OPAs. All right, so there's that. Now I'm going to move on to the tools and techniques of the planned human resource management process. There's five of those. I'll read them off. They are organization charts and position descriptions, networking, organizational theory, expert judgment, and meetings. So moving to the next slide, we'll begin to hit all those guys. In this slide, I've got a graphic in here, so if you don't have the slides in front of you, I'll describe it. Basically, the graphic has three separate types of charts and tables that you can use to describe the roles and position of people in your organization. The first one on the left is the standard organization chart, sort of like what we saw a few slides back. Either if it's just for your project, it's got the project manager up at the top, and then it's got some number of branches below it. They can be functional branches or phase branches or whatever. You can organize that however you want. But the way you organize it explains how you're managing your project. You want to be careful that you organize that well, if you will. People are going to keep roughly the same roles throughout your project. Great, do a functional one. But if they're not, maybe you need to do a slightly different variant of an organization chart style one. You get the point. It's top down, and it works very well. It's been there a long time. Then there's a matrix-based chart, basically a table with rows and columns. 
It was also called a Responsibility Assignment Matrix, or a RAM chart. And basically, it used to describe connections. Basically, you put either names in the first column of rows. You put people's names. And in the columns, you put functions. And then you can check off who's doing what function. Or you can do it the other way around. Put the people names in the rows and the functions in the vertical columns and check it off that way. Uh, whatever works for you, whatever your organization likes to see. But you're basically taking functions. Who's a programmer? Who's a tester? Who's a crane operator? You know, those types of things. And then finally, there's a text-oriented format, which is basically text describing what's going on. You have a role description, you have a responsibility description, and you have maybe a list of activities that that person is, that role is involved in. And it's all just pure text, and that's all there is to that one. So it's pretty easy. Right, so let's move on to the next slide. And we'll look at another variation of responsibility assignment matrix, that middle thing that I talked about. You see it a lot, a whole awful lot in a lot of different companies. It's a version of, as I said, responsibility assignment matrix, but they call it a RACI chart. This is one is oriented with, in this case, activities, but it could be functional stuff along the rows. So in the first column, each row has an activity description in there. In this case, my example has define, design, develop, and test. And then in the columns, I have people's names. There's Ann, Ben, Carlos, Dina, and Ed. And what you do is in the chart, you're going to put a letter. And the letters, there are four letters. The first letter is R for responsible for performing the work. This is the person or persons, it could be more than one of these, who is responsible for actually doing whatever that activity is. Then you can have an A or accountable. Normally you see one here. You can have more than one, but normally you'll only see one A. That's the person, the manager probably, who is accountable for making sure the work is complete, where ours can be managers, but they can also be doers, worker bees, whatever you want to call your rank and file. Then there's a C for consult. Those are someone who you really want to ask those experts who we're talking about before. We'll talk about a whole lot more in a couple of slides from now who know a lot about your project. You want to ask them questions. So you'll consult with them for their opinion on various things. There can be any number of C's in your RACI chart. And then finally, I for inform. This is someone, management, a vice president, someone like that, who must be informed of what's going on. When you made a decision or someone's made a decision, you inform them of that. And if they want to input, they will but it's not necessarily what they need to do. You basically want to tell them, well, we've decided to do X, or we've passed the design phase, or now we're going into the production phase, or something along those lines. You inform them. And then you just fill those letters in, in the matrix down there. Again, at least 1A, not normally more than 1A, but any number of R's, and then any number of C's, any number of I's. And it's called RACI. Some places call it RACI. It doesn't matter whatever you want to do. But it's a chart that's used quite extensively. You'll see one or two in the exam, I'm sure. And you'll also probably see them depending upon where you work as well. All right, so let's move on to the next slide. And I'll give you one more example of another chart. This one's more graphical. Basically, it's got the same assignment matrix thing that we talked about before, rows and columns. But now it's just more graphical. Instead of putting X's or something in there, it's got little symbols, triangles, circles, and squares, and there's colors, and there's a legend down in the bottom so that you can figure out, in this case, it is for a process, in this case, raw material procurement, and it gives the list of steps, list of tasks in the raw material procurement activity. 
and you use the symbols to show who's doing what. So project manager gets to do a couple things. The project office, if there is one, gets to do a couple things. Team member gets to do a few things, and it's just a, a graphic thing that you can use as well. It has all the same information as the other ones, it's just showing you yet another example. All right, so I'm going to move on to the next slide. And we're going to continue with the tools and techniques. We have a couple more here. Next is networking. This is uh, just as it sounds. I'm sure you've all networked and maybe in your local PMI chapter or someplace where you just talk to folks. Normal, informal interaction with others either in your organization or you go to a trade show or something along those lines or PMI chapter meeting or just in the cafeteria where you work. You're talking to people who came in front of you, finding out what they've been up to, how they did things and whatever, just finding out information informally. In this organizational theory, this is where you're going to pick up information on how your company likes to do things, how your company likes to organize. Maybe there's some principles that they like to follow. So you want to follow them as well if you work in that company. If with the exam, they'll tell you what type of theories they're going to want you to use in the exam, and you just plan out and you use them. All right, so it's pretty easy to cover those things. And I'm going to move on to the next slide. And next we have expert judgment. Now, with expert judgment, as I've been talking a lot, it's been used quite extensively throughout the PMBOK. It's basically ask the people who've gone before you. They know where the potholes are. They know what to avoid. They know what to do to gain favor with management and make sure you have a successful project or turn that around, have a successful project, then gain favor with management. But they can help you out. So take advantage of them. Ask them questions. Go buy them a beer, buy them lunch every now and again, and pick their brains. See what they can tell you. They can give you a whole lot of information on roles, levels of effort, relationships, lead times for things, risks, software for different things. They may have a copy of a project plan that they're willing to give you, things along those lines. They may not put in their OPAs just yet. So use expert judgment to the greatest extent as you can. And then as you get more experience, you give your expert judgment to the people who follow behind you. And quid pro quo. Give what you get, and you can pay it forward as well. Use all those nifty little idioms, and do what you can to help each other out. We're all in this boat together, if you will. Okay, on the next slide, we have our final tool and technique for planned human resource management. It's meetings. In the old versions of the PMBOK, they used to differentiate between meeting types. They no longer do that. It's just meetings. Since we're talking about planning human resource management, this is a planning human resource management meeting. So you're going to talk about people, talk about organization, talk about what should be in your human resource management plan, those types of things, and reach a consensus on what should be in there if you need to come to a consensus with your stakeholders. Okay, pretty easy. Okay, and I'm going to move on to the next slide, and we'll hit the single output for planned human resource management. It is the human resource management plan itself. There's a lot on this slide. I'll go through it a little at a time here, and we'll get through it in short order. As I said earlier, I think in one of the other slides, the human resource management plan is a subsidiary of the project management plan. It's going to live within, below, however you want to state that, of your project management plan. And we know it talks about how human resources are going to be defined, staffed, managed, and controlled, brought on and released from your project. It's going to identify roles, authority, responsibilities, competencies. What type of things do you need? What type of human resources do you need? What level capabilities of human resources you're going to need in order to make your project work? There's a whole lot of other words there that I'll let you read on your own, but that's basically what this boils down to. 
You probably want to throw an organization chart in there if you know what your organization chart is going to look like for your project. It's always a good thing to have in there. And then some type of staffing management plan would be a good thing as well if you've got a longer project. Basic idea of when do you think you're going to be needing people, bringing them on. Let's move to the next slide. We'll talk about a staffing management plan a little bit more. What I have here is a table that basically describes sections of a staffing management plan. First, you want to talk about acquisition. So how do you need to pull people in? Do you only get to pull people from an internal pool or only hire them from the outside? Do you get to share with other organizations? Your management will tell you how that's supposed to work. We put it in here. What's the timetable? How long is your project? When are you going to need people? Certain phases of your project are going to require different numbers of people. It all depends on your project. Okay? And then if you're not going to need people all the time for 100% of your project, how do you release them? What's the methodology to release them? You certainly don't want to just let them go. They're without a job. You, As a project manager, an ethical project manager, you want to help those folks find yet another project to work on, and depending upon the context and the organization style of the company that you work in, it may or may not help you do that. So as a good project manager, you want to make sure you pay attention to release criteria and how it's done. And then training needs. You don't know who you're going to be pulling in, so you want to make sure you lay out the entrance competency levels of your people. And if someone doesn't meet the entrance competency level, what are you going to do to train them to get them to that level? Right? And then there's recognition and rewards as your project is going along. You want to make sure you reward them and recognize their work. We'll talk a whole lot more about that coming up in the next session as well. But how is that going to be done? Compliance, if you have to worry about it, for contractual obligations or government organizations, compliance, things along those lines, how that's in there. And safety is a good thing to throw in there as well to make sure that there are any safety concerns to pay attention to for your project. And so that's roughly what goes into a staffing management plan. And uh, it gives you an idea what's there. And the final slide that I'll show you for this process is yet another graphic, another chart. Basically, it helps management. Management loves to see charts. They don't want to read a lot. They're going to want to know how many people you're bringing in and how much it's going to cost. This chart will handle the first thing. Basically, it's a histogram. It's laid out by weeks, so we have roughly five months' worth of week vertical columns, if you will. So roughly four columns per month, one per week. Some of the months will have five columns in them because some months have five weeks. You know, Count the Mondays. Each one of those columns is the starting week on a Monday or something along those lines. doesn't matter how you do it. And then the y-axis is staff hours or staff bodies, whatever you want it. Number of people, number of hours, however you need to accomplish it for your project. And basically it's a histogram. It starts low on the left-hand side because it's the first part of your project, and then it ramps up pretty quickly in this case, but it doesn't have to ramp up quickly. Your project will vary. Your project could wind up ramping up very slowly and be high in the middle, you know, classic bell curve type of thing, but it can bounce here and there depending on what's going on. This one doesn't. Then toward the end of the project, things slow down. You drop the number of people that you have. You don't need them anymore. The work is done. You got a few things to close up and the closing ends, and then you go to zero, basically. But then this particular example, after it goes to zero for a couple of weeks, it comes back up. You actually have some more work to be done. This is to remind you that sometimes you have to work support into the end of your project. And maybe there's whatever your project happens to be, there may be some amount of time, maybe as you're doing uh, implementation of a, or you know, rolling out a uh, something, you have to uh, 
support the workers during the last part of all the heavy lifting, if you will. Maybe you've done training, so the training's all done, but no one's actually used the product yet. Now, after a couple-week hiatus, you've actually rolled the product of your project out, and now you have to support the people using it. And that's what the bump on the end of this graphic is for. Make sure that for your project, if it's that type, you include that in your staffing management plan. Don't just roll it out and be done with it. It never works that way, trust me. I work on a whole lot of projects, both in my old job at HP and my current job at Red Hat, where someone's rolled out something that has had a problem and needs to be tweaked because somebody didn't think of something. And we have to figure out what's going on. Okay, speaking of what's going on, that's it for this process. Any questions from anybody? Star 6 to unmute your phone if you have any questions. Okay, hearing nothing, we're going to move on. Now we're going to talk about the next process, which is acquire project teams, process number 9.2. We're looking at the horizontal representation of the ITTOs, and we see there are three inputs, five tools and techniques, and three outputs. So we'll move on to the next slide, and we'll look at those guys. And we see that now we've entered the executing process group. All of the rest of the processes in this knowledge area are in the executing process group, that middle group, if you will. And now we're going to talk about, okay, how do we grab the people? How do we attain? How do we acquire the people? How do we assign them to the project? What processes do you have to go through? What onboarding things do you have to worry about? Things along those lines, where they're coming from, inside or outside, making sure that they have the right level of skills, as I said before. Sometimes you don't get to control who is on your project. Someone, a stakeholder or a manager someplace, might say, you must use John Doe or Mary Smith in your project, and you must, and you have no other choice. So you're going to use them and figure out how to do that. All right? So be aware that that's politics. You always have to pay attention to politics, and politics is bad everywhere. And just deal with it. And you might even get a question on that in the exam as well. What are you going to do? Well, for the exam, you're going to acquiesce to the stakeholder. You're going to use that person in the project, and you better make sure you use them relatively well because they, they might complain back to the stakeholder friend of theirs. So make sure you cover that as well. Let's move on to the next slide. And we will list off the inputs for acquire project team. There are three of them. I'll read them off in case you're walking the dog or raking the leaves. They are human resource management plan, enterprise environmental factors, and organizational process assets, all of which we sort of talked about already. So we'll, we'll blow through these relatively quickly. I'll move to the next slide. Remind you that as we just finished saying, the human resource management plan is a subsidiary of the project management plan going to give you guidance on how to do all the stuff you're going to need to worry about for acquiring. Now, since we're talking about acquiring project team, it's going to give you the guidance on how you're going to identify who to acquire and how to acquire them, all right, and lay out some other roles and responsibilities and help you set up your organization chart, all right? So that's what we worry about for a human resource management plan as an input to acquire project team. Let's move on to the next slide. We'll get on to the next two, we'll cover both in the same slide. First is enterprise environmental factors. Again, things you cannot control. And these are things like, well, maybe there's a special skill requirement that has to be had, that has to be owned by an individual in your project. You have to have a licensed crane operator or a licensed plumber to do something, whatever the case might be. And there's no way around that, so you have to understand that. And also some of the characteristics inside your project team you cannot control. You cannot 
control what your project team likes or dislikes, how they like to operate. You, maybe you can change that over time, but in general, when you first come in, not so much. And maybe their availability might be limited by some reason, some way, shape, or form, and you'll work through that. There's another example here on this one is even though the availability, experience levels, interest, costs, and abilities of your resources are considered part of the enterprise environmental factors input, make sure you understand these inputs and how they're important to this process. So it's sometimes EEFs are sort of blown off, if you will. It's one way to look at that. It's just something you've got to deal with. But sometimes these things are important, and that's what this example points out. There was a scenario that there was a little detail in the EEF that made a big difference in your answer. Right, so just be aware of that and be ready for it. And then on the OPAs, these are the things you can control. So maybe there are recruitment processes that you can tweak a little bit and improve upon them. Maybe there's some forms and things like that, some request forms for people, some budgetary forms, things like that that you can pull from the OPA bin to help you begin to fill out the paperwork that you need to acquire your team and that's what this is all about. And maybe any other policies. Maybe a policy needs to be updated because it's wicked old, something along those lines. All right, so there's that. Let's move on to the next slide, and we'll talk about the tools and techniques for Acquire Project Team. There are five of those. I'll read them off. They are pre-assignment, negotiation, acquisition, virtual teams, and multi-criteria decision analysis. We'll go to the next slide, and we'll hit a bunch of those. We'll start with pre-assignment. Just like it sounds, for some reason or another, somebody, person A, Joe Smith, Mahendra Patel, is assigned to your project, and there's nothing you can do about it. So deal with it. Maybe they were promised this particular project because they did well on another project, and that's a good thing. All right, so take advantage of those, but maybe they were assigned to this project because they messed up. They did not do such a good job on a previous project. Maybe you are the remedial project manager. You never know. It can happen. So just be aware of the project team members that you have to deal with that are pre-assigned for one reason or another. And you're going to know that because as a project manager, you tend to be able to pick your project team. I'd like person, you know, pick one from each three or three columns, something along those lines. And if you can't pick one, then there's a good flag. That's a pre-assignment. And be aware of it. Okay, then there's negotiation. Sometimes in some organizations, you have to negotiate for your team members. You want a particular individual because you've worked with them before, you know the capabilities, but that particular individual is already engaged in another project. Well, now you've got to do some negotiations and try to see when that person is available and when your project is going to need them and work it through with their management. All right, this is really in a functional organization. You see this mostly, but it can happen in other organizations as well. Just be aware that there's going to be some negotiation you're going to have to do. And then the actual acquisition itself, how do you do the hiring? How do you do the end-of-assignment work as well, hiring and letting go, either be the full-time employees of the company or maybe the contract help or union help or something along those lines. Know how all that stuff is done, and there's processes to make sure you know how to do that. And if there's a procurement involved in this whole thing, and you have to buy people you're getting through the procurement, then you need to make sure that the people you're getting through the procurement are also capable of doing the work as well. Something to pay attention to. 
move on to the next slide. And then we have virtual teams. Virtual teams are becoming a bigger deal than they ever were in the PMBOK before. My version, version 2000 of the PMBOK, they mentioned virtual teams once. Yeah, they're okay. But now in this flat technological world that we live in now, there isn't a project I do that does not have a virtual team to it. Uh, I'm in one building. I work from home a lot as well. And I spend my day talking to people on the other side of the planet or the other side of the country or something along those lines. You're not anywhere near where I am, even if I'm in the office. Right? So virtual teams are here to stay. The PMBOK, to a great extent, is embracing them now. But, but they still like co-location. So virtual teams are just... just Probably all have heard of virtual teams. They don't necessarily work at the same location or have the same work day. You can take advantage of that. Uh, we do a lot of work with folks in India, and they're getting up just as I'm leaving for the day. So you can basically get two shifts of folks using someone in India. Then if you get somebody over in Europe, you can put a third person in, and you can have work follow the sun depending upon the type of work it is. And you can always have somebody working on it and get things done very quickly as long as you have a lot of other processes in place to make sure that handoffs, inter-shift handoffs are done correctly, you can get a whole lot of work done with a virtual team. So they're not necessarily bad. They can be very good as well. And it depends on what technology you use. There's a lot of movement nowadays for you hear uh, some CEOs saying, we're going to bring everybody back into the building now. Well, that isn't necessarily a good thing because it depends on the technology that you use, the second bullet, in this slide, it says that current technology will allow your team to be successful. You can use chat rooms, email, video conferencing. I'm on video conferences several times a day, one on, even one-on-one -on -one video conferences, right from my laptop. There's a camera in my laptop. I'm not in a fancy room uh, with, a, with a table of 27 chairs and such. You know, there's technology out there. You can Skype. You can Google+. Plus, you can do all kinds of one-on-one -on -one video chatting if you like to see the people's face and work with them and share screens. You can go over documents, sharing screens. You don't have to be in the same room to share a document. Same virtual room, yeah, maybe, but not in the same physical room. Right? So technology has really helped that out a lot. But big, big exam point down the bottom of the slide. For the exam, if they give you a choice between virtual team and co-location, you really want to choose the co-location. I mean, it's really important. They really like that a lot, and it's not something that's going to go away for a while because if you can co-locate them, they can interact. There's a lot more hallway conversations, sure, because someone's walked by and they say, hey, but if you're in a chat room, you can do a, hey, you got your ears on in a chat room type of thing. You know, you're listening in a, in a chat room just as easily as you can do a walk-by and then talk to somebody. But it's the... I want to say this. It's the way the organization works. If they're willing and able to work in chat rooms and IRC channels and things along those lines, then it's a great way to do things. But you have to have the propensity to use it, I guess is one way to say that. You can use all that technology to the greatest extent, but if you're given a choice in the exam, you want co-location over virtual. Okay, so that's what that's all about. Let's move on to the next slide. We'll talk about multi-criteria decision analysis. This is just as it sounds. You've got to make some decisions, and you're going to use a whole lot of different criteria or several different criteria in order to choose things. And when you have several different criteria, what you're going to do is weight things and give them a score, things along those lines. I'm not going to get into a whole lot of detail in this session, but when we do the project selection session, 
and it's the same for the fourth edition. There's the fifth edition. There's one of the areas that did not change. They give it a different name for sure, but basically it's using multi-criteria decision analysis, using several criteria and weighting them, weighting the results, scoring and weighting to choose which one gives you the highest score on what you're trying to do. All right, so that's something that was in previous editions. It's still in the fifth edition, and basically you're just going to look at things like availability, cost, experience, ability, knowledge, skills, attitude, international things, if they're co-located or not, things along those lines, are they virtual or not, and you're going to weight all that stuff and come up with a score in order to enable you to make a decision. And the easy answer is you pick the one with the highest score. It's, it's that simple. So I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it here. Just know how to do that and go look at the project selection session on an actual example on how to do that because it's the exact same thing. That one just has to be choosing a project, but you can do it here for choosing a person. It makes no difference what you're choosing. You're choosing something. You can use it for selecting a vendor if you're doing a procurement. Same thing. It works for a lot of different things. All right, so let's move on to the next slide, and we'll talk about the outputs for acquire project team. There are three of them. I'll read them off in case you're riding a bike or just taking a walk with the dog. They are project staff assignment, resource calendars, project management plan updates. So move on to the next slide, and we'll hit those. First is project staff assignment. You've decided who's going to work what. You've acquired your people. You know that John Smith, Andrew Patel, whoever else is going to be on your project. You know what role you're going to put them in. You know where they are, what their work hours are, all that other stuff, you know, whether you have to train them or not, anything along those lines. And you've actually done the assignment. You know, you've got them and you're waiting for them to start, basically. Or they are already working because you're going through this many times and you're looking to see how things go. We're going to get into some of that stuff in a little bit with managing the teams. But um, you can change assignments as you work through your project. And that was part of that progressive elaboration in the iterative process that we have here. All right. So that's what project staff assignment is all about. And you're going to publish your organization charts, your RAM charts, and any other planning documents you're going to do in order to make sure your stakeholders and your team knows who's working where, for whom, doing what. All right, then there's resource calendars. Everything has a calendar. Bulldozers have calendars. People have calendars. Material has calendars. So in this case, since we're talking about humans, we'll say this is the human calendar, the availability of the people. What's the work schedule? the hours, how to get a hold of them, things along those lines. And nice to pot that someplace where folks can look at it. And that's all the resource calendar is. On the next slide, we have project management plan updates. As I mentioned, progressive elaboration in the iterative process. You're not going through acquire project team just once. If you've got a long project, you're going to be doing it a few times. Maybe if you've got a real short project, you're doing it just once. But in a long project, you're going to be doing it many times as you need to bring new people in to do something or somebody goes on maternity leave or paternity leave or something else and you have to replace somebody for whatever reason. And um, so you're going through acquiring a lot, or not a lot, but often. And sometimes you have to update the plan because things change. Right? So as the plan changes, you're going to make updates to it. There's a I think I was going to talk about it a little later on, but I'll talk about it now. Chapter 4 of the PMBOK Guide, there's a page. We we're talking project management plan updates here. And you'll also see in another couple of slides project document updates. And what's the difference? And it's very easy to tell. From that table, you'll see two columns in that table. 
One are planning documents and one are project documents. And you notice looking at the planning documents that everything in that column, there's 15 or 20 things in that column, every single one of those has the word plan or baseline after it. And so that's the way you tell. And anything that is a project document does not have the word plan or baseline after it. You're going to see issue logs and risk registers in a little bit, things along those lines. Those are project documents because they do not have the words plan or baseline after them. In this case, for this output project management plan update, we're talking about anything that has the word plan or baseline after it that has to be updated because if you change your staffing around, maybe that's impact your cost, so it's changing your cost baseline. Maybe it's changing your schedule, so you're changing your schedule baseline. All that stuff has to go through the change control process as well as I mentioned like in the first couple of slides. Then once it's approved by the change control board, you snap the new baseline. You keep the old one because you don't want to blow it away in case you need it for later on. When someone asks, what did you change six months ago, you can tell them. But all this stuff is in the project management plan updates output for acquire project team. Okay? So that's what this thing is all about. So with that, we're done with that process. I'll pause if there's any questions. Star 6 to unmute your phone. It's relatively straightforward. We went through it relatively quickly. We're going to do the same with the next one, too. Because even though it's got more items, it goes relatively quickly as well. So hearing nothing, I'm going to move on. Now we're talking about the manage project team process, process number 9.4. We're looking at the horizontal rendition of the inputs, tools, and techniques and outputs. And we see there are six inputs, four tools and techniques, and five outputs. So let's go to the next slide. Begin to talk about those guys. When we talk about managing a project team, we want to make sure that we're actually looking to see what they're doing, tracking and reporting on their performance. You need to know who's doing a good job, who's doing a bad job, because we talk about rewards and recognition in a little bit. So we need to make sure we cover that. And we're going to be doing performance appraisals. Make sure we do those at a relatively good frequency. And how you're going to know what the frequency is, that's in your EEFs. The organization will tell you how frequently you must do reviews. Some projects you're probably going to do weekly reviews for cost and schedule, but what about the people? Maybe people are quarterly reviews or maybe annual, maybe once for the entire project. It depends. You'll get that from your EEFs back in the plan human resource management process. But right now, we're implementing those types of things. Right? So we're looking at those things. We're looking at behavior, making sure that the team is performing well together. There's a big exam dot down here. The pinbox states that one of the results of the managed project team process is an update to the staffing management plan. Well, yeah, sure. As you are making changes, bringing people on, letting people go for one reason or another, you, know, you have to update the staffing management plan. Don't forget that. And that was on the exam recently. And then we see that staffing management plan updates are not listed as an output of this process. Right? Well, why is that one? Staffing management plan updates is in the project management plan updates output. Let's move on to the next slide. We'll talk about the inputs to manage project team. There's a bunch of those. There's six of those. I'll read them off. They are human resources management plan, project staff assignments, team performance assessment, work performance reports, issue log, and organizational process assets. We'll go to the next slide and begin to talk about those. First, for the human resource plan, since we're talking about managed project team now, we're talking about the inputs that pertain to this process. Then we're going to be doing some of the same things. We're looking at the resource plan because it's going to tell us how we're going to staff and manage and control the people. Right? So 
just standard stuff that we've more or less already gone over, and it gives us information on roles and responsibilities and things like that to help us do the management. You know, it's pretty straightforward. And then there's the project staff assignment itself that we did in the last process. We already know that's after all this work is done that you put into making all this stuff happen. Then you know who's working on what. But if something changes in your project, you're going to have to do it again. So it's an input, but it's something you have to worry about all the time anyway. So you still see the wording for recruitment practices and negotiating and things like that because you still might have to do some of these in the iterative process of progressive elaboration. Right? And then you use all the organization charts and RAM charts and all the other charts and stuff that we talked about already. Use those as inputs for managing so you know who's doing what when and where, maybe. On the next slide, we talk about team performance assessment. This is you're walking around, you're looking to see what's happening, how things are moving along. Are you on schedule? Are you not on schedule? That type of thing. And you should continually be assessing your team's performance that you make sure that if something is the way the PMI likes to do things, if the process is in control, you leave it alone, but you're always checking to see if it's in control, and as soon as something is out of control, you slap it back into control, and that's what this is all about, is making sure that you're paying enough attention that you can see when something's not right and you can address it, be it conflict, be it the way communication is done, and maybe it's a better way to improve team interaction, things along those lines, and all that stuff you're watching constantly to make sure you know what's happening. Then there's an issue log. With issue log, this is where you're going to document things that you notice. If there was a big issue with a big conflict, something went up. You really want to document that so that for the next project, if it's something you think might crop back up again, you'll be able to deal with it. If it's a political battle between one group to another, then chances are you're going to run into that again. If it's within your project and there's one person's personality, doesn't mix with someone else's personality, well, then maybe not so much for that one. But you want to keep track of the important ones and make sure that you know exactly what's going on and can deal with it. And the issue log helps you to do that, not only for this project, but for upcoming projects as well. Stick it in the lessons learned bin, in the OPA bin. All right, move on to the next slide. And there's work performance reports. These are the official reports you're giving to your stakeholders, to your management about what's going on. And there'll be some things in there. It depends on what style report your organization wants. They'll tell you what they expect from you. Hopefully they'll tell you. Otherwise, use a format that one of your experts, the expert judgment I keep talking about, said, hey, this worked really well. So that's the one you're going to use. Thank you very much. Let's go have a beer and type of thing. And use whatever they like to see or they want to see or works well. And it's going to help you manage things as you're moving forward. It's also going to help you forecast out what's going to happen potentially in the future. So you can get some assisting in your forecast using these work performance reports. And certainly you're going to have to worry about them for rewards and recognition, or recognition and rewards. might be easier for me to say it that way. And updating the staffing management plan if you find you're lagging behind because certain individuals or you don't have enough people, enough bodily mass to do task A, whatever task A is, well, maybe you need to bolster your team with some more people and make some things happen to crash that schedule or something along those lines. Schedule crashing we talked about back in the time management area. So everything interconnects. Like crazy, it interconnects. And then we have organizational process assets to talk about. These are the things you can control. So maybe someone's put together a nice certificate of appreciation that you can use in your project. 
newsletters, websites. Maybe there's a bonus formula that worked out, and you can use that. Maybe if you're a big enough company or even a small enough company, you can buy some T-shirts. T-shirts are cheap, and for the most part, they're good motivators. Some people, I got enough shirts, I'm not worried about it, but they really care. They may say they don't care, but give them a shirt anyway. They can choose to wear it or use it as a rag, whatever they want to do, but you've done your bit. All right? And if all of your team doesn't like T-shirts, they like to go to lunch every now and again, well, spend your money on taking them to lunch every now and again. You know they're not going to wear the shirt or whatever. Do something else that you know motivates them. That's what this is all about. And you get all that stuff out of your OPAs. You ask someone else, hey, what worked for you? Okay? So there's that. And that's all the inputs. Now we'll talk about tools and techniques for managed project team. There are four of those. I will read them off in case you're doing the dishes or the ironing, whatever the case might be. They are observation and conversation, project performance appraisals, conflict management, and interpersonal skills. Right, so we'll move on to the next slide, talk about those guys. We'll start off with observation and conversation. Basically, you've heard of management by walking around, MBWA, that's sort of what this is. You're going to observe people. You're going to assess their performance, both individually and as part of the team, and make sure you know what's going on. You want to make sure you communicate that you're doing this so that they know how important all this stuff is. Communication is a big deal, so you want to be communicating to them both as individuals, one-on-one, -on -one, and as team members. So you certainly want to have one-on-ones every now and again. An open-door policy is a nice thing to have. You'll probably see that in the exam. They haven't lately, but you could still see that. This has had exam points on it before. Establish one. Make sure that you can tell people you can come to me whenever. To the greatest extent, do that. Some people can, some people can't. It depends. Do what you can for that. And if your team thinks you're open and honest and willing to listen, then they'll tell you things. But if they think you're not listening, you don't care, then they won't. And you're not going to learn about some problems coming up that could hurt you. So do what you can to make sure through observation and conversation with folks, you know what's going on. On the next slide, we have project performance appraisals. This is where you're actually going to write it all down. You're going to have most likely some type of formal form that you're going to be going through to record all of this stuff and there may be a set of criteria that you have to fill out, checklist of a certain things for your organization in your EES. You'll find that and work through it. Make sure that uh, it's very clear what the roles are and what feedback you're providing. Hopefully it's constructive and the like. Any other issues that come up, make sure you handle them. This is where you also want to handle training needs and is in the project performance appraisals and future stuff. How long are you going to be around? What do you want to do next? That type of thing. So as a good project manager, you can prepare your team members for the next assignment, whatever that happens to be. And your organization, your EES, will tell you how formal you need to be. Sometimes it's very formal. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's only in writing. Sometimes you get to do it verbally. And sometimes the team member gets to see it. Sometimes they don't. Pretty silly not, but it happens. And you're going to work through all those things and actually do the performance appraisal, remember again, for the team, but also for the individual as well. You should do them both. It's a really good thing to do. Move on to the next slide. We'll talk about performance appraisals a little bit more. It depends on how long your project lasts. For the actual project for cost and schedule, you're doing them pretty frequently, once a week, once a month, whatever the case might be. But we're talking about humans here. So humans can go a little bit less often. You might have one-on-ones where you're telling people how they're doing, which is fine. But we're talking about formal appraisals here. So annually, semi-annually, quarterly, 
things along those lines. It's the formal part, not the informal, hey, thanks a lot, you did a great job with that thing. That's an informal one. This is more formal. There's a big example in the middle here in that not only can managers provide performance appraisals to the team, but it can come the other way. And that's a big thing that the PMI is pushing the exam has lately is it's called the 360-degree review. That's where your team reviews you as a project manager. And a lot of times those reviews are looked at by management. So it behooves you to do what you say you're going to do. Be predictable. Make sure your team members know what you expect and you hold them to it. And if they know that, they will perform to the levels that you would like them to. And you can reward and recognize them for it, or recognize and reward them for it. And the same goes to you. They can recognize and reward you for it. They can't do the reward so much, but management certainly can. If they get a bunch of glowing recommendations from the team, then management's going to pay attention to that. If you, as a project manager, can routinely, almost every time, come up with a successful project that is under budget, ahead of schedule, and everybody wants to work with you on the next project, that's a really good thing. It's a wicked good thing that it's nice to pay attention to and be the recipient of better way to say that. Uh, so 360-degree reviews are very important nowadays in the exam. And some of the downside of that, though, be aware of loyalty issues. Certain groups hang together, whatever, and they may not be as upfront as what they could be as truthful as what they could be because they're protecting somebody or they're backstabbing somebody, they don't like somebody, so they're going to try to torpedo them, and that can happen as well. So we'll go through that. And then the final bullet down here is, as I mentioned a couple times already, use a formal review time to take a look at training. What are you looking for for the future? What kind of training do you need? First off, for the project, make sure you have everything you need to do the project, but once that's satisfied, well, what are you looking to do in your next project, the project after that? What other training do you need to make you a more well-rounded person for your next project? The I, as the project manager, can use you in. What are, what are your other interests? And get that person some training in that area. So when your next project rolls around, they'll be ready to rock and roll for you. Okay? Let's move on to the next slide. I had a few slides on conflict management here because it is important, and as a project manager, you're going to need to get through it. Now, for conflict management, if you see a conflict between individuals, what we're talking about right now, but you can get into conflict as a project manager trying to negotiate for folks as well. I'm not talking about negotiation strategies here and such. I'm talking about conflict management strategies and what you can do around conflict. We'll get into that in another slide. But these are mostly people to people. If you see a conflict going on, deal with it as soon as it arises. If it involves you, get in front of it right away. Get in somebody's face. Say, hey, I see a conflict here. Let's work it out together. Or if I see a misalignment of goals, let's work it out. Or if you see two people having the same thing, work it out with them as well. Most of the time, conflicts come about because something's funky with the schedule. Maybe a certain resource isn't available, or maybe someone's personal work habits, someone's a slob, and they're sitting in the same cube a lot of times with the current office structure, single person cubes that are walls that are six feet high are kind of a thing of the past. Now this bullpen style where you get three or four people sharing one area with walls and there's just little tiny partitions in between them that you can see over when you're sitting down. So you get someone who's a slob. It impacts the person, the neatnik, who's sitting right next to them. I've seen some workplaces where you can reach out from where you're sitting and you can put your hands on the shoulders of the people sitting next to you. You know, so it depends on where you're working. So you get things like that coming up. That could cause conflict. 
try to dress them privately first, but if you have to get a bit more public, do that, but try to do it privately first. Be direct. Try to be collaborative whenever you can. If it's two team people, as I mentioned before, try to get them to work it out together, but if they can't do it, I was going to say volunteer to intervene, but no, don't volunteer, just intervene is a better way to do that and get them on the right path or their resolution. And if you can get people to work things out themselves, that's a great thing. It's called problem solving. We get into the term problem solving in another slide here. And just do what you can to get them to work things through. All right? And if you have ground rules set up to how to deal with some of these things or your company does or it's in your OPAs, what ground rules you should use, then use those to the greatest extent. Let's move on to the next slide. We'll talk about what conflict is. Basically, as I mentioned, it's the incompatibility of goals, where something one party's doing is either resisting or blocking another party from attaining their goals. Okay, so what you have to do is identify the incompatibility and then deal with it. And as I mentioned, we can have conflict over things like schedule, priorities, resources, technical opinions, things along those lines, a vast array of things. Before the exam, these are the things that can cause conflict most often. And if you have a brain dump, you use my brain dump. We've got conflict things. Causes of these areas are on the brain dump. And a chart you're going to see in another slide is on the brain dump as well. So let's move to the next slide and begin to talk about the components of that chart. And we talk about conflict resolution strategies. There are five of them that you can use in order to try to make a conflict go away somehow. Sometimes you can't. But this is not negotiation necessarily. This is making the conflict go away. The first of those five strategies is called smoothing. It also can be called accommodating in some study guides. So either smoothing or accommodating, and it does not lead to a permanent solution. It's a temporary way to resolve the conflict. One may can say, well, that really wasn't a big deal, was it? What's your problem? This is not a big deal. Let's not worry about it at all. It's just going to go away anyway. And if someone is convincing enough in doing that, then everyone looks around and says, yeah, okay, I see your point. We don't have to worry about that. All right, so maybe that one person got their way, but eventually whoever was the target of the smoothing is going to come back and say, well, gee, that really was something I wanted to talk about. Hey, how did they make me agree that that was something to worry about? And they realized they went smoothed over, and now they're upset. All right, so it's not a permanent situation. It's a lose-lose situation, if you will, not a permanent fix it's a lose-lose situation. Neither side wins. Okay? Then there's withdrawal, also called avoiding in some other texts. This also never results in a solution either. This is when one of the parties or both of the parties give up. Well, I've had enough of this. I'm not talking about this anymore. And they walk away. They delete the email, whatever the case might be. This is the worst of all because absolutely nothing gets resolved. At least in smoothing, potentially, you got something resolved. And as long as the smoothie, if you will, doesn't realize that they gave something up, depending on the selling job, the smoother did. But in withdrawal, they both just walk away, and it's a lose-lose, no matter what, and it's very bad. You're going to have to deal with it again later on, probably. Let's move on to the next slide, and we'll talk about the next strategy, which is called compromise, also called reconcile in some text. This is achieved when both parties give up a little bit. This is not exactly a win-win, but it's neither side wins, neither side loses kind of thing. They both give up something that they wanted, and it works. It's how probably most conflicts are resolved. You give up something, I'll give up something, and they don't think of anything else. All right, So it's resolved. You get a compromise. You get resolution out of it, but you can do better. How can you do better? 
You could do better by doing collaboration. The next strategy is called collaboration or is also called problem solving. This is the best way to resolve things because instead of compromising, everybody gives something up, you actually create a new way to work around whatever the conflict was. If it's a technical thing and people are conflicting about how something should be done technically, well, come up with yet another technical way to do it that is better than the two ways that you're fighting about. All right? Then everybody wins. Hey, let's both agree that way is better. And so let's use that instead. And you've collaborated on it. You've both worked together on it. You've solved the problem. And now this is the best solution. This is the real win-win because you come up with another way to do things. Everybody goes away happy because nobody's lost anything. Everybody's achieved something, and you actually achieve a permanent solution out of this. So it's a wicked good deal, as we say around here in Boston. This is the way you wanted to solve things. Okay, so does that. Any questions on that? Let me do the next one, then I'll ask about questions. The last strategy is called forcing or directing, and it's just as it sounds. I'm the boss, do it my way. Or I'm the technical lead, do it my way, whatever the case might be. Someone has just said, because they have power, over other people, they can say, this is the way we're going to do it, right? And it's done. So the forcer wins, the downtrodden party loses. Not a good thing, and nobody likes it. If you have any questions on any of these strategies, do a star six, and I'll take a question on these. Relatively straightforward. Maybe the problem-solving one wasn't. But coming up with a new way to do things is a good way to remember it. All right, hearing nothing, I'm going to move on to the next slide. We're going to get into the outcomes. Now, for outcomes, there are four of them first one is stalemate. This is where they can't come to any type of resolution. It's a neutral thing. Nobody wins. Uh, you walk away with your own opinion still, and nothing is decided, nothing is accomplished. Not a good thing. Then there's resolution. That's an in-state in which agreement is reached. Everybody wins. That's that collaboration thing I was telling you about. Both sides consider it a win. That's what you really want to see. And then there's winning or losing, and that's just the way it sounds. Somebody wins, somebody loses, one party triumphs, one party doesn't, and it's okay, but the person who's lost probably has not, doesn't have very good feelings, and it could cause problems later on. So if you can do resolution as opposed to winning or losing, that's a good thing. Okay, so now let's move to the next slide. And we've got a grid here now, and this is how you apply all this stuff. All right, so... On the left-hand side of this slide, on the top, in a blue square, if you have the slides in front of you, we're listing out the resolution strategies, the five resolution strategies. And you see a letter or a set of letters, depending upon how unique they are. So for withdrawal, smoothing, and forcing, there's one letter, W, S, and F, because that's easy. But the two that are similar, compromise and collaboration, you see three letters, C-O-M for compromise, C-O-L for collaboration. And then we go down to... The grid down below, we see in our column headers, they're labeled Party A. So the way you use this chart is if Party A uses one of the strategies, W, S, C-O-M, C-O-L, or F, that's the column that you look at for the strategy that Party A is using. And now we go to the row headers. The row headers is Party B. And you see the same headers, W, S, C-O-M, C-O-L, and F. Those are the strategies the other party, Party B, is using. So inside the grid are the four outcomes. So S for stalemate, R for resolution, and if one party wins over the other, the arrow is pointing at the winning party. So if party A wins, the arrow is pointing up at party A. If party B wins, the arrow is pointing to the left of party B. All right, so now applying these things, and how do you predict what the outcomes are going to be is what the innards of this table are all about, what this matrix is all about. 
Okay, so the way we use that, so let's pick an easy one, that if party A uses withdrawal and party B uses withdrawal, you end up with an S in that cell. That's a stalemate. All right, so that's how that one works. Now, let's say we go over to something a little bit different. If party A uses S for smoothing and party B uses calm for compromise, then you'll actually end up with resolution. Because even though the person walked away, you get some level of resolution for that, and that's a good thing. Okay, so that's how that works. So you want to make sure you pay attention to that. And then we'll pick another one here. Let's say party A uses forcing, last column over forcing, and party B uses a collaboration strategy. Well, then the forcing one's going to win because the forcing guy, party A, is forcing, we're just going to do it my way. So you're just going to win. This is the way to look at that. And this is the table that I picked up along the way a couple of years ago. It's a handy table. It's in my brain dump. If you want to look at it there and take a look and see whether you can use that. It may not be in the exam, but at least it's something you can pay attention to. And if you ever have to work and resolve some conflict, obviously the collaboration choice is the best choice for resolution, but you never know. Okay? So we're almost done. In the session, let's move on to the next slide. Any question on any of that before I move on? Star 6 to unmute your phone. No? Okay, I'm going to move on. So now we've got another tool and technique, interpersonal skills. These are often called soft skills as well. These are things like leadership, influence, negotiation, communications, empathy, creativity, action planning, critical thinking, creative thinking, all kinds of different things. They can be learned, but more often eh, you've got an innate ability to do these things. You're a project manager, an inherent ability to do these things because it's part of your personality. But you can learn them as well. And you need some general management skills in order to do these things so that you know what the assignments entail and what leadership and negotiation skills can influence people and departments and things along those lines. I'm not going to get into any detail other than that on this session because now in the fifth edition, Appendix X3 covers interpersonal skills, and we actually have a separate PM Lessons Learn session on soft skills, on interpersonal skills. I'll be updating that. It's in the old 4th edition podcast. It hasn't really changed much, so it's one of the few things that you can use from the 4th edition that won't hurt you. They've added a few skills for the 5th edition, so you'll have to update for those, but we'll get to that when we do the session on interpersonal skills. So I'm going to move to the next slide, and we're going to hit the outputs very quickly, and then we will be done. So the outputs are, I'll read them off, they are change requests, project management plan updates, project document updates, enterprise environmental factors updates, and organizational process assets updates. And let's move on to the next slide, talk about change requests. Start with change requests. This is something's gone on, you've had to change something that requires a review board to take a look at things. So sometimes staffing changes, you may have pre-approval on things, which is good, but other times you don't. So if you're going to change your staff around somehow, you need to put a request into management for that. Depending upon your process, it will or will not go through the change review board. For the exam, it will go through the change review board, and that's what we're paying attention to here. So all that stuff will go through the change review board. It can affect the rest of your project, so you need to really pay attention to it a lot because they can really disrupt what's going on in your plan and it can cause schedule and cost issues and such, which are bad. 
As I mentioned, all this stuff needs to go through the change control activity, which is part of the perform integrated change control process. And changes can include moving people around to different assignments, outsourcing some stuff, things aren't working out, and whatever the case might be, replacing team members who leave for one reason or another. You might need approval for all that stuff. And if there's any preventative actions that you've noticed through your walking around, your observation and conversation tool and technique, you need to change the way some things are done preventively. You need to get those approved as well. So you put in the change request for those things. And you might have some cross-training to worry about with some of these as well, but that will depend on your project. Okay, so I'm going to move to the next slide and very quickly hit project management plan updates, project management document updates at the same time because remember what I said a few slides back, anything with the word plan or schedule after it is a planning document, and if you change any of those types of documents, your baselines or your plans, you have to record the updates and use them going forward. Same with project documents. Here are things like issue logs, roles description, project staff assignments, and other stuff that don't have the words baseline or plan after them. You've done some updates to them. You stick those where you need to stick them in your project documentation so you can refer to them. And that's what all of that is. And the last slide with anything of import on it are your EEF updates. Enterprise Environmental Factor updates, these are the things that you needed to change because it's more formal. These are things that maybe you've convinced your organization they needed to totally revamp their human resource policies somehow. And you've got that through the change control process, and now because that's something that maybe you've changed it, but it's something that is more difficult to change. It was a big deal to do. It was an organizational style, a onesie-twosie change. You put that up into your EEFs so other people can use them. And maybe there is some other types of things. Maybe there's a whole new form for doing performance appraisals that you've come up with that you've got management to bless, and that's what everyone's going to use moving forward because they have to because they're in that organization. That's what those are. And then OPA updates, these are the little things, the spreadsheets, the checklists, the templates that you've come up with that people don't have to use them if they don't want to, and whatever the case might be. But you've done some work, and it's really helpful, so why not help other people in your organization to work through all of this stuff? And any lessons learned that you might have as well, you want to make sure that as you're doing your lessons learned that things move on very nicely and you can capture all of that. Okay, so with that, I'll move to the next slide, and we see that we're done with all of the material that we're going to talk about. All right, so I've unmuted everybody's phone. I still see a few of you out there. That's good. Thanks for hanging in there. Any questions on anything I've gone over in this session? This was human resource planning and management is not the gnarly one. We did the gnarly one last time when we built a schedule, things along those lines. A lot of this stuff is common sense. So if you don't have any questions, we'll move on. Let me remind you that PM Lessons Learning conducts three conference calls each month. This is the monthly PMP exam study group call because it's the first Thursday of the month. On the second Thursday of each month, we have our PM Lessons Learning job shop call where folks in transition or with a need to identify a potential career path can go to help each other out. And finally, on the third Thursday of each month, we'd love to hold our PM Lessons Learning best practices call. This call provides presentations on a wide variety of project management and soft skills topics. We talked about soft skills a little while ago, didn't we? Well, this is where some of those things can happen, and we need volunteers to make these other two calls appear, the job shop call and the best practice call. So if you can volunteer, that would be fantastic. We'd love it. 
All right, so that's it for this session of the PM Lessons Learned Monthly PMP Exam Study Group Conference Call and Podcast. I'll again thank the live participants on this conference call and everybody that downloads the podcast. We're up to over 50,000 downloads from all the years I've been doing this, so thank you very much for that. We're over 1,000 downloads just on the 5th edition stuff right now, so we're doing very well. Keep all that stuff coming. I'll remind you that we are at pmlessonslearned.com. Project managers helping project managers to make a difference. My name is Dana Safford. So long and keep on learning. This has been a PM Lessons Learned podcast. Project managers helping project managers by sharing lessons learned. Come join our group. Visit our website at pmlessonslearned.com. Till next time, keep on learning.